Welcome to the Science in Sport Industry Insight Series podcast, which is of course brought to you by our partners, Science in Sport. My name is John Porch. I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute, and today I'm joined by our host, James Morton, the Director of Performance Solutions at Science in Sport. James, welcome back to the show. Hello, John. Nice to see you again. It's nice to see you too. And I know that you share my excitement in speaking to our very special guest today, a man you know very well given that you worked together for five years at Team Sky, the cycling team now known as the Ineos Grenadiers. That man is Rod Ellingworth, the Deputy Team Principal. So James, what can you tell me about Rod before we get started? Yes, well, I first met Rod back in 2015, John, when I first joined Team Sky. And of course, as, as many people know, cycling was a new sport to me, um, a complete newcomer to the sport. So I needed to learn the history of the sport, the culture of the sport quite quickly. And, and Rod was really a close ally. He was a mentor to me, took me under his wing, taught me the sport. But very quickly, I learned that not only was he an expert coach, but he was also an expert at developing people, especially athletes. And Rod and I shared many stories over the years of, of some of his experiences of developing what has went on to be some of the greatest riders in the sport. That's fantastic. And at this stage, I suppose we'd better introduce the man himself. Rod, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, guys. Yeah, all good. Thank you. Yeah, not too bad. Ready to go. Glad to hear it. And James, why don't you take it away with the first question? Yes, well, this episode, John, as you know, is all about developing talent. And I think for all, for all of us who have worked in high performance sport, talent is a word that is probably thrown around quite often. So I wanted to start at the beginning, actually, and pose it to Rod is when he thinks of talent, how would you define talent and what does talent really mean to you? Yeah, it's, it's always one of them questions, isn't it? Like, um, you know, what, what actually is talent? How do you see it? I think across all different sports, you, you, you know, talent comes out in different ways. And there's obviously the individual sports requirements, if you like, in, in terms of, say, if it's football, how, how do they play the ball? If it's cycling, it's things like, for me, it's like, um, you know, how they pedal in, What's their vision look like? If I, if I, if I look at a, a young kid actually on the bike, um, that's what I look like or look for is, is, uh, is certain things about how they ride the bike. But behind that is the actual person. <clears throat> you know, when you get talking to the person individually, there's just something about talented people where they just come across really different. They don't come across passive or just sort of, yeah, whatever. They're, they're quite driven. They know what they want. And this is even, I'm, I'm currently speaking to sort of 16, 17 year old lads now, and they know what they want exactly, you know, and, and they're, they're driven to to sort of push themselves, you know, and, and they're very, they're very much self-starters. So I think talent, it comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes and forms and you, you've just got to be open-minded to young people, I think, and and um, and sort of see the good in them. And the talent does come through eventually. Yeah, no, I think that's a great start, Rod. I mean, one of the things that I often struggled with in cycling was when you used to say, this rider is so talented. But of course, I came from a football background where it's almost easier to spot talent. I want to take you back to some of those earlier guys that you worked with, the likes of Geraint Thomas, Mark Cavendish as an example. When, when you first met those riders, as young kids, really, wasn't it, back in the British cycling days? What was it that stood out for you in terms of talent in those individuals? If you talk about, say, Gawain and Cav, I think looking at them too, they just had something that, not only their performances as young lads, because maybe, as you're saying, maybe football is easier. In my my mind, I'm thinking maybe it's not, because it's not like a, a clear who's crossed the line first. You know, there's so much more within this, the football game about partnerships, about teamship and everything, where cycling, you can just go on 
purely results and you sort of get quite a long way down the talent pool if you're just the ones who are winning a lot. So what was quite interesting, I think, Geraint was winning a lot as a junior and Mark Cavendish was winning a lot as a junior. But Mark Cavendish wasn't going to the Junior World Championships where, where Geraint Thomas was. And what it basically was at that time in British cycling was if you couldn't hit certain fitness or performance indexes on, on a basically an in, indoor trainer and your power wasn't sort of at a required level, you didn't get selected for these events. And that's what I changed completely. And that's what I saw in, for instance, like Mark Cavendish was he was winning bike races, but his ambition towards winning bike races and the way in which he saw bike racing when you asked him the relevant questions, it was completely different to everybody else. So he was seeing things in slow motion, basically, as he was racing. And, and he could break a race down into real sort of fine parts where other kids just, just didn't see things happening. Where Geraint was a little bit more straightforward. He, he was just a real performer, very ambitious, you know, moved in the right way. He looked absolutely fantastic on a bike, you know, and just sort of seemed to flow. He, he looked at one with the bike. They were some of the early things I saw in them guys, which I thought was quite unique. But, you know, never would have thought would they have gone on to sort of do what they did at that moment in time. I don't think you can sort of really predict that at that at that time. You know, when these lads are sort of 14, 15, you can't really predict how far they're going to go because a lot of it comes down to hard work. And I think just going back to that question about what is talent, talent only gets you so far. And, and in cycling, I think talent gets you to sort of 18, 19 after that, you've got to start putting in the hard yards. There's, you know, there's no, there's no way out of, of hard work that people don't just float through. And I'm sure that's the same in all sport, you know, but the, the talent gets you so far, but you can only rely on the talent for so long. You, you've got to start getting results eventually. Yeah, I think that's super interesting, Rod, because in many ways you've, you've outlined how sometimes from a talent ID perspective, it's almost just numbers on a page and we're looking at hard results, but actually what you also honed in on was almost that sporting intelligence, in your case, the race, the racing intelligence, whereas in team sports, it's like game intelligence, so to speak. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you know, and I, I was, you know, quite privileged in a way that I was part of the, um, when I first started working at British Cycling, I was part of the talent team programme, which was going to schools throughout the UK. Um, I was in the southeast, and London was one of my regions, and I was five days a week going into schools across London um, and running these sort of uh, short races and looking for the next talent, you know, and we picked up a lot of good bike riders who went on to be Olympic champions uh, from that program. But what what I was sort of introducing at that time differently was that race intelligence. And what I, what I was looking for was people who had spatial awareness. There's, there's something about that vision. When you look at them, where they're looking, you, if you can see where their eyes are looking, it, it tells you a hell of a lot in a, in a bike racer you know, and what they're sort of, they're, they're predicting the next steps, you know, perhaps a bit like snooker when they say that they're five or six shots ahead of themselves. It's a similar thing, I yeah. presume, in most sports, you know, very much yeah. so. So would you have any advice then for, for leaders in other sports or perhaps leaders in other industries, like business as an example, when they're trying to identify talent, perhaps it's someone who's not almost hitting those metrics at that early age, but you can almost see that they're, they're smarter than their peers. How do you nurture that talent and, and give it time to, to hit the metrics, so to speak? A lot of this depends on funding, doesn't it? And how much time you've got to give people. So I think quite often things like that sort of gets in the way, really, and, and, and stops people from progressing in, some, in so many ways. I think one thing I've always said is you've got to listen to these young people. And a, a, a lot of more experienced people, perhaps 
you know, they've been through life and everything, but they, they're perhaps not listening to these young people enough. And, you know, you've got to listen to their ambitions. And when they say things, there's, there's a lot in there, you know, and if you ask the right questions, open questions, getting the getting into the guts of it, really, really getting under their skin about how do they want to go from A to B. I think you can learn a lot from people. And, I, and I've always had this concept of, you know, try and follow people's ambitions and dreams. And as long as you've got the funding and the program and the space, you can, you know, keep working with people because the talent will come through if if they've shown sort of that basic at the beginning of you know why, why did you see them because they got the results because they got certain qualities there's something in that now that's about then you've got to nurture that 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 talent you know and you and and you do that by listening to them going on the journey with them and really sort of guiding them through the when they're winning it's easy it's when they're losing that's that's when you're as a coach that's when you really earn your money that's, that's the real moment i think yeah, and so I guess that's real the, the principles of coaching, communication and effectively leadership rod that you can even demonstrate to a young athlete at those early ages. Yeah, I think so. And and you know, one thing was spending as much time in a classroom situation as as on the bike in them early years, you know, and 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 sort of as a group developing what their fears are, what their main what, what as a collective group, what what's their main challenges facing it you know in front of them and what they want to achieve because you you've got a common goal they all you know in our world they want to be professional cyclists following Mark Cavendish or Garrett Thomas's or Olympic champions it's quite easy it's quite easy to map it out but the big question is how do you get there and what's your fears and challenges and I think if you can really get into the guts of that with with young people together collectively not individually actually doing it collectively because we are you know we are only individuals can win but we are very much a team sport then you really go on a, a journey with these guys, you know? Yeah. I'd like to take you back, Rod, to your early days in the British Cycling Academy, which was a program that you effectively set up from the beginning, really. I'm right in saying that you, you took a group of riders to live and train in, in Italy for several years with the view of coaching them to become road riders at the time, was it? You know, it was more about just endurance athletes within cycling. So it didn't matter to me whether, well, I was working for British Cycling and our business was Olympic medals. So it didn't matter whether it was, you know, road Olympic medals or track Olympic medals. That was the focus. However, when I listened to these guys, their absolute dreams was to be a professional cyclist and to earn their money within professional the profession side of the sport. And and the Olympics was, was a stepping stone towards being a, a professional road rider. So to me, that was perfect. I, I couldn't think of anything better to do. So at first, when I set up the academy, we brought them into Manchester, but I called it the halfway house because to be a, a full-time pro bike rider, I believed you had to live in Europe. You've got to be in the thick of it in Europe. So you haven't got far to travel and all the other sort of benefits of being in, in Europe with the longer climbs, the weather and so forth. So I called Manchester halfway house because I knew I needed to get them out of their homes, need to get them away from their parents, need to get them to look after themselves, be self-sufficient. And then the next step was then to go into Italy and, and race full time over there. So, you know, we did that for the road season, which was sort of from February to September. And then we were back in Manchester for, for the track season during the winter. But great times. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was your philosophy of the program at that time? You, you mentioned about being self-sufficient, and I remember from some of the stories that you and I have shared over the years that it very much was about teaching these riders to look after themselves and take responsibilities for their own career, which at the time I, I found very different to team sports, for an example, in the Premier League, 
you get a lot of players where things are done for them all of the time. But I think your philosophy was quite different. It was, we'll support you, but you have to almost show some responsibility for your own career. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of it comes from a lot of, like most sports, it's hard work. As I said earlier, there's no fast track here. There's no sort of, you can't just float through. Everybody, you know, has to put in the effort and the work. And and to me, it was about when you reach the very, very top, you should get looked after really well. When you're in the, the elite, real top end, you've got to get everything. But you've got to earn your pennies on your way there. So when I developed the academy, they were only, you know, young lads. And for me, they had to earn their right to move forward. So there was a part of it, it was about them having accountability and taking responsibility for the program but also what i wanted them to feel was that god we've worked really hard that that we've been a little band of brothers together and we've done this together you know when it's like anybody if they've gone on a a big walk or a a big sort of challenge uh you know a a charity walk or whatever they get to the end of it people get really emotional and get emotional because they've been on a journey together so i was trying to create that that sort of atmosphere but over a longer period of time you know, and these guys, I think if you speak to them, that's exactly what they felt. They, they knew they worked hard together. So when they come out the other end, they had something in common together. And to me, that was just, it was just something which I felt like, you know, they clock in in the morning and they clock out at night. It's like going to work every day. It's like, you know, you, you've, you've got to earn your pennies to move forward. And that was quite a big saying that I used to say to them a lot, you know, was earn your pennies here, guys, you know the hard yards in and you'll get the the rewards and they, they have done when you think back raw to that time period of course not only are you trying to develop those riders physically but also mentally and, and psychologically was a big part of your program what things did you put in place to almost build in the resilience at those early years because of course that's that's one attribute that you need to succeed in professional cycling yeah i think you know um there's a couple of things here was you know how far do you protect a rider from a from the mental preparation side and when should you throw a grenade in at them to deal with you know it basically you know and 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 i think you you can't hide from that because the moment you hide from that you're failing them basically so all the way along the program i constantly kept throwing grenades in and that was across could be across sort of just challenging them on the day of you've got to be absolutely on time for every single point of today which was just a simple training session Two, maybe being at a world championships and actually expecting a result, <clears throat> you know, because you, they've also got to understand that, as well, especially when they get into the professional world of cycling, the business is winning. The business isn't just turning up and having a good time. The biz- business is actually winning. It's not even to come second. It's to win a bike race. So you have to throw that grenade in quite early when they're young kids. So what I what I did was I constantly kept swapping them in and out of age-related events to uh, elite events when they were racing against older older guys who physically they perhaps shouldn't be able to perform against. But when it was age related, there was a performance outcome. When it was the elite end, I did I all I worked on was process goals and worked about sort of <clears throat> how do you do a certain certain part of the event, how do you sort of do some um, race tactics together. But there was nothing about performance outcome. Where when it was under twenty three World Championships or Europeans, we we had a performance outcome which was about them taking on that responsibility so the mental side I think is massive we were really lucky that we worked with Steve Peters and the chip management um, we really got into it I think Dave Brailsford myself we we really took that on as a concept and Steve was 
was absolutely brilliant with us. He he didn't work with my riders one on one, but he worked with me, and then I worked with the co with the riders. So it was I, I learned loads from Steve in that in that time about getting in the mindset, being ready. What what is your responsibility as an individual within that program? I learned loads from Steve on that. Yeah. I mean, even personally, when I worked with the likes of Geraint over the years, I remember in 2018, which of course was the year that he won the Tour de France. Mm. And when he found himself in the yellow jersey, I remember in the evening period, the conversation was all about, how do you feel about the jersey? Is, is the weight of the jersey too much for you? And how are you going to deal with the next 10 days? And his response was actually, I'll just deal with the process. I'll just deal with the next 24 hours, the next meal, sleeping correctly. And I think his mindset then can, a lot of that can be traced back to his journey through that talent pathway and that he was taught to just look after the process rather than the result. Yeah, I think so. I think that was a a general philosophy across the whole of British cycling at the time was that working on the process to forget the result because at the end of the day, you can't, as we know, you can't really control that, but you can control the process. Um, you know and 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 that still stands today which that's what that's basically the background of our coaching philosophy now yeah and for me Rod that just it it really brings it home how important a philosophy of talent development is Mm. and sometimes when you work in sport even within the same sports team you see you see teams of different age groups especially in football as an example there's no consistent philosophy it almost differs depending on who the coach is yeah, yeah. But a British cycling and Team Sky at the time, there was a clear philosophy. It was a consistent language, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where, you know, things have moved on a little bit, I think, in the last few years. But in the, in the main, you know, we are a coach-led programme. We believe in that sort of relationship between coaches and riders and that they drive drive the programme, really. Um, but the accountability to athletes is a, is a real big one. You know, if they don't have accountability and feel responsible for their own life. I mean, I, I constantly say it to them, at the end of the day, this is your life, guys. We're just here to support you. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I said that right from when they were young lads. You know, it's, it's totally, they don't have to stay. But I, I, what I did believe, though, was when I was working the talent team and junior programmes was as staff and as coaches or leaders within that programme, one of our jobs is to is to get the bike riders coming back week in week, you know, like not going, oh, I've had enough of cycling now, I want to go to another sport. What, what do we have to do as coaches to make it so interesting and so exciting that they do want to come back? And I think that's a real key thing for a coach to constantly think about when you're working with development kids as well. It's got to be exciting. So it's got to, you've got to listen to them what they want. And that's where I think, you know, as, as, as we get older, the 15, 16-year-olds stay the same, but we, as coaches, we get older. Yeah. So the moment you think you relate to them, 15, 16-year-olds, you're, you're failing. So you've got to listen to the people around you. Constantly keep bringing new, young coaches in. Keep moving it on because the age gap has to be not too big, I don't think, in some, in some respects. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's a great point. It, enjoyment and excitement, I guess, is our number one goal is for anyone who's yeah. in the people profession, really, isn't it? Well, I think, you know, you know, when I look back at them academy days and, I, and you speak to any of them young lads, they all say them, they absolutely loved it. And they loved it because we set the environment, which was, we're going to go bike racing. We're going to be shit hot at what we do, but we're going to have a good time. You know, and I didn't put restraints on them. People think that I put loads of restraints on them about going out at night. I didn't. We actually put them in Manchester University in the actual in accommodation, which was right in the heart of Manchester University, because I wanted them to go out. 
you know, the young lads, they need to go meet girls. They need to or do whatever they want to do. You know, they need to get out and, and, and experience life. But what I did expect was them to be at the track at 7.30 every morning. Yeah. If they weren't at the track at 7.30 every morning, that's then when we had a problem. But, but <laughs> another, you know, another little thing was, but if they couldn't make it at 7.30, all they had to do was ring me. And then we'd have a discussion. <laughs> it, was, it was never a telling off or whatever, you know. So, so I just, I, we just set rules and, and standards and, you know, the lads had a good time, that, that was for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take you back again, Rod, to 2018, because one of my favourite days from working with you actually was in that Tour de France when um, it was the stage that Geraint actually took the yellow jersey. Yeah. And if, if you remember, you and I were in the race car that day, following the race. Yeah. So Geraint obviously went into the jersey, but Mark Cavendish was also riding that day. Mm. And during the stage, it became very clear that he was going to miss the time cut. Mm. So, so it would have been very easy for Cav to jump off the bike, jump into the team car and, and just go home. But Cav carried on he, and he finished the stage. Mm. And for you as someone who had worked with both riders and seen them came through, I remember you went to the finish line. Geraint had finished at the time, but you stood and you waited for Cav to cross the line and finish. And I think in the aftermath of that, there was a lot of people saying, what a great shot that was to see you at the finish line clapping in Mark Cavendish, even though he had effectively, mm. he finished last basically on the stage. Mm. But in many ways, Cav also won that day because he, he stuck it out and he carried on over the finish line. And that was like a real example of resilience. Mm. So mm. a lot of that, I guess, could be traced back to some of those early lessons that you were trying to teach those riders when they were, when they were youngsters, mm. really. Yeah, you, you know, I mean, there was a lot going off that day. Like, like I said, you know, the highs and lows of of coaching. I think in many ways, because you, you, you know, you do really get connected to these guys. You, you, you know, everything about them, and, and you know, so you again, you're going on that journey from start to finish with them, really. But you know, one thing I always used to say to the guys was try and respect the organisers. They put bike races on. You should, you should always try and finish. It doesn't matter what state you're in. You should always try and finish because you never know. There may be some sort of loophole or something could happen where you could start the next day or you do just make it in by 30 seconds. You just never know to keep going, which Mark said to me on after that day. That's what he kept thinking about was I'm going to respect the organisers. I'm going to keep going, which was quite nice to hear. But I do, you know, the reason I stood there is because I just knew that Mark was in a bit of a bad way. I knew, yeah. emotion, I knew emotionally he was in a really bad state, you know, that he couldn't stay with the group. Uh, you know, we were hearing it on the race radio in the race car, and I, I just knew. I don't. I don't know why. I just thought well, I just. I just need to see him in, you know, and, and let him show that actually people still sort of, you know, are there with him by the side of him. And I think as a coach, that's what you have to do. <clears throat> yeah, and that's why I said, you know, the easy one was patting Geraint on the back that day. Yeah. You know, giving him a high five and saying well done. That the hard one was that evening, not even that day. It was that evening when I went to see Mark. <clears throat> you know, and, and just chatting through with him. and But but I tell you, this is where then that, that talent comes out and these guys, they're already talking about what's next. Yeah. And that's the difference. So you, you, you're trying to sort of talk them through that major moment of failing, but they're straight on to, okay, what, what next? And that's what, that's what differs them to a lot of other people, I think. Yeah. In fact, speaking of riders who are different and what separates them, one of the guys that you and I work with was, of course, Chris Froome. Mm. Now, I don't know what your reflections are for me, but for me, he's probably the most mentally strong athlete that I've ever come across. It, yeah. how, how would you summarize Chris as an athlete, Rod? 
Yeah, do you know, I think you've, you're bang on right with in terms of mentally strong. Uh, I, I do think Geraint is as strong mentally, but Chris has got a, a real drive that is totally different to anything else. And I think that's why he could repeat, you know, what's he won seven grand tours. I mean, that's why he can win seven grand tours, because he can back it up. He can take the knocks and move on. I, I think Chris is a phenomenal athlete. He's so driven. And, uh, you, you know, there's, I think in cycling, the physical side is the biggest element. But then you've got to have a massive, massive mental side to this as well. And he has both sides really at the top of the game, definitely. That 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 win in the Vuelta, in, uh, sorry, in the Giro in 2018, that to me was perhaps one of the best Grand Tours I've ever seen. Yeah. It really was, yeah. Yeah. Um, and just thinking back to the likes of Geraint and, and Chris, from my own personal perspective with working with those guys in terms of a sports science role and specifically sport nutrition, for me, those guys really stood out because when it came to nutrition, they really embraced it. They took on every single detail. They were always very upfront on the role of nutrition and influencing their careers. As someone who's been in the sport for so long, how important do you think nutrition is for a cyclist in terms of their development through the pathway? The nutrition and the energy spend is, you know, when you actually get into the bike race, that's perhaps the big, one of the biggest factors that why people fail because they get it wrong. You know, and I think it's only recent years really where we've where we've sort of been able to really delve into this and and really understand how significant it, it actually can be and you know how much fuel you need to get in you, even just within the bike race. And then there's all that leading up to that and the and the weight loss and everything else that is involved. I mean, there's the physical fitness. Number two is is or very close is nutrition and what you're putting inside yourself and how you how you prepare. I think just, you know, going back to that point about Chris and Geraint and how they took it on, that's what also sets them aside to others is they had the capacity to take on all that new knowledge. Yeah. You know, so when so when they're when they're at their, their height of their game and they're full gas doing what they're doing, but they've still got the capacity to listen and to take on new things, I think is also another reason why they stand out from, from others. You know, when you also think for them guys, they're, you know, what one meter eighty plus guy you know they're, they're tall guys and to get to the weights that they had to get to they have to yeah. really you know they've got to work hard haven't they and i think you know you know through your support and and that sort of guidance that they can't do it on their own they really struggle to do it on their own well, certainly Garant struggles to do it on his own so yeah. it's really important having that support around them i quite often remember actually rod when you, we would speak with a lot of the younger riders who had just joined the team and we would ask them What's your dreams and ambitions and how are you going to get there? And quite often they would say that they need to lose weight. Yeah. And then, of course, they go to extremes and we would almost have to reel them back in and say, at this stage in your development, losing weight isn't really your goal. It's just about mm -hmm. fueling consistently well and we can worry yeah. about the weight loss down the line. I'm sure you've had yeah. many examples of that over your career. Yeah, well, I think they always push it too far, don't they? Most of them do. And again, you know, it's, it's, in some ways you've got to let them do that. And I tell you, yeah. as a develop as a development coach, that's one of the that that is one of the biggest things you can learn is you have to let these kids hit the brick wall every now and again, and and you've got to know they're going to hit the brick wall, but you've just got to be there to catch them because they don't learn the lessons otherwise. And I think you know things like weight loss, things about you know how how can you push it on on descents. There's many different pillars of work that you can split it down to, but you've got to let them hit the wall. And, and uh, you know, certainly in nutrition, it's a common one, isn't it? That they just want to sort of push it way too far. Something which I'm noticing now, though, guys, actually, is I think one of the reasons why so many young riders are succeeding in this sport is because the knowledge is so much more accessible. 
and yeah. they're a lot smarter now. And things like, you know, like what Science and Sport are doing with the products and how we're sort of getting information out there. And I think these kids now are really knowledgeable. And so, you know, a, a 20 year old kid now is different to a 20 year old kid 15, 20 years ago when I started working with them because they've got so much more at their fingertips and they are learning very quickly. Yeah. Um, I think that's the same across all sports, Rod, to be honest. I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. We've spoke quite a lot about developing other people, but of course, let's talk about your own development journey because I know you've been on quite a journey over the last 20, 25 years. You've went from a, a rider yourself to someone working in a talent pathway, coaching, and now you're effectively deputy team principal of one of the world's best sports teams. So how have you developed over the last 20 years and, and what steps have you taken to proactively nurture your own development? Do you know, I often think to myself, I've just been really lucky in terms of the people I've worked with. I think, you know, all the way along, I've, I've been, I've, I've really, I've learned from some of the best people around me, you know, and, and certainly, obviously, Dave has been a real key person. You know, Steve Peters, again, been a key person. And, and all this sort of, just spending time with people. I just love spending time with people. I love sitting down, at, you know, at dinner time, chatting to people and learning and, and, and constantly keep pushing yourself forward. And and also, I think, you know, don't be scared to put ideas forward. I'd, I'd, I'd always tr be trying to put ideas forward. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But, you know, I think for myself, it's, um, it's just been a constant evolution of learning and developing and pushing myself to, to sort of try and help these guys really. The background to me is to, I love seeing young people succeed in, in something. I, I really do passionately really enjoy that. And I think that's why that journey I've gone through, let's say with Geraint, it, it has been massive really, because I've been from, you know, I first saw Geraint when he was 12 or 13. Now he's what, 36, 37 and perform, still performing. And yeah. I've been at near enough every single one of his highs and lows. It, it's quite it, it's it's quite a journey to have been on. And so I think, you know, not just staff around me, but the riders around me have pushed me. And I've just constantly done that, you know, and, and you know, listen to people like yourself, James, who've, you know, you've got knowledge and, you know, you know you've got to, you know, constantly ask people questions. That's what I think. Yeah. So that leadership journey, a lot of it is about having mentors, really, and seeking out mentors around you to coach you on your own journey as well, then? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you sort of, there's two or three people who I speak to regularly who you, you're talking about ideas and, and, and um, you know, what's next and, and they help you sort of filter out what, what would work, what wouldn't work. You know, I mean, I've just constantly got ideas in my mind about how do you do things. And we're, we're, we're sort of, we're currently now within Team Ineos sort of, we're just about to launch a development program, which I think will be quite exciting um we'll we'll be worldwide we're going to reach out to all different corners of the world to actually do some development work and and a lot of this just comes back from the early days of when i worked at british cycling i want to rekindle some of that because actually I, I believe it really works I, I think it's it's got real legs to bring people forward and yeah. find some talent you know yeah no rod i think that brings me on to the final question really which is the not only the evolution of athletes and coaches and yourself but also the team you went from Team Sky to Team Ineos, and of course now the new name is the Ineos Grenadiers. And I think a lot of people in the cycling world are commenting that Ineos Grenadiers is a very different culture to what Team Sky perhaps was five years ago. So can you tell us a little bit about your philosophy of the team now in terms of its culture and identity and, and where you're hoping to take the Grenadiers in the next few years? 
Yeah, I think, you know, when, when we first started out with Team Sky, um, you know, it was quite clear what the goal was. The goal was to, to win the Tour de France. So it was a real clear, you know, nothing was going to get in our way. We'd come from that Olympic background where nothing got in your way other than performance, you know. So we, we, we tried to bring that, that whole sort of environment into the professional world. Now, you know, we got stung two or three years it was quite hard to to get there we obviously we won the tour in 2012 but it was all about just winning and ruthlessly winning in a way and it didn't matter how we were going to win tactically it was just like put the best tactics in place even if it was boring just go out there and, and try and win get wins on the on on the board that's it that, that was the philosophy basically uh, and i think we did that we, we were very successful with that model <clears throat> i think the other thing was we, we brought in a different concept of the world of professional cycling which was put the athletes at the center of the program and really think about the athletes and not think about logistics or management or or the you know just going from race to race to race now that gave us a massive head start and i think over the time now other teams have caught up because you, you haven't got to be that you haven't got to be that smart to see that you know it's quite easy you just got to roll your sleeves up it's not easy to do you've got to roll your sleeves up and get it done it's hard work but a lot of teams have done that now and are up at a high standard. So I think, you know, the last couple of years, the, the team has sort of had to find a new way. Right? How are we going to find a new way to race? So the, the whole idea now is about diversifying across different elements of cycling. So it's not just road cycling. So, you know, we're really backing the track guys. We're backing cyclocross. We're backing mountain biking. You know, so that's sort of broadening our view and what we're trying to do within the world of, 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 uh, of um, endurance sport. You know, the, the philosophy, really, we, we've got this new term we're sort of saying is top bike racing, which is about sort of being loved and respected. So you can be, you, you can win lots of bike races, but you're perhaps not very, very well liked or loved. And I think that's perhaps where we were with Team Sky, where now with Ineos Grenadiers, we're trying to move into this way of trying to win with real passion, trying to show the show the world a little bit more what we're about and how we actually do things. So you know, which I think we've, we're doing quite successfully at the minute. You know, the, these younger, the younger guys coming into the, the, the sport, they're wanting to win with much more flair. They're wanting to attack f- much further out and really take the bike racing on and, and break the bike race to pieces. And, and I think that sort of creates a, a completely different atmosphere, which is what we're trying to do, you know. And I think, as I said, we're, I think with some of the wins we've had this year, I think that's what we've tried to do. However... Sometimes you've got to go back to the old way of racing because that's the way, the only way you can win that bike race. So we're not scared of doing that if we have to. But it's sort of, um, you know, just trying to open things up a little bit more, let people see underneath the bonnet of the team uh, and, and show them how we do things is, a, is quite a big way forward. Yeah. So I guess racing with style then is, is your philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Racing with style. Yeah, yeah. Racing, you know, racing because we love it. Yeah. You no, know, because you know we all love this sport, um, and and that's quite clear. And I think everybody in the team absolutely loves it, and and we're really enjoying our performances at the minute. It's like at the tour, we didn't win the tour, but Gowan's performance, and then you look at how Tom Peacock won on Outdoors. You know, they, they they were as good a moments as winning the tour outright. Yeah. In the past, to be honest, no, that, that's a great place to finish, Rod. Because again, looking back at the tour, it, it was very clear to see that there was passion and fun in the team, mm. and lots of moments to celebrate. Yeah. Again, it, it's really clear to see your passion for talent development. And so, on behalf of leaders in sport and science in sport, we just want to thank you again for coming on today's episode. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, all good, good stuff.